welcome inside the coach's room. Every week, we talk to elite coaches and backroom staff about their experiences, how they develop, and how they develop their players. They responded the most on this differential training because they were used with, with, uh, to, to these repetitions. And then the differential training was an immediate, I would say, eye-opener for them. I never saw a, a cheetah doing squats or, or bench press. Uh, and, and they are the fastest uh, animals. In this episode, we talk to Professor Dr. Wolfgang Schulhorn. Wolfgang Schulhorn is the creator of the Differential Learning System. For many years, he trained national and international athletes in different sports, and we discuss why differential learning is the most effective learning method. Enjoy this episode with the one-of-a-kind and inspiring Wolfgang Schulhorn. Wolfgang, a very, very big welcome inside the coach's room. Hello. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. It's very my pleasure to talk to you because I've never talked uh, inside this coach's room about wobbling chairs before I started recording. So I'm going to ask you to, to please maybe do a small summary again because I was asking about your office. Okay, what's your office like? And then you said, yeah. I have differential furniture. Please explain again. Yes, differential furniture. We mean that um, the furniture is moving. Uh, one thing is by itself and one thing is in a passive way. So we have uh, different wobbling chairs. Uh, we have moving desks or I have uh, this in, in, in my room so I can switch all the time while I'm working. And the reason for this is that Immediately from the beginning, our studies showed that when you're sitting on a wobbling chair or uh, the desk is moving, or even if you switch all the time between different desk heights, uh, it's activating the brain in a completely different way. Uh, and yes, uh, not only in a complete stressful way, uh, it's actually uh, shifting the brain in a state where uh, learning happens and um, Learning happens in the lower frequencies, and in the, these lower frequencies, the brain is also more creative. Um, and this is my belief uh, that uh, it will support my thoughts, uh, even in my older age, uh, uh, to be creative in, in, in science and also in, in consulting uh, coaches and, and athletes. Wow. Okay. Is it that if you are wobbling on your chair or moving a little bit, that your brain is, well, figuratively speaking, but maybe literally also less rigid, so it's more open to creativeness, is it, or is it just my uh, assumption? No, actually, we don't know exactly what happens in detail, okay. uh, but what we see uh, a cause tendency is that when we are balancing, and this is what uh, you normally have to do when you're sitting on a whopping chair, then the motor cortex is activating the frontal lobe yeah. in a much different way than we are used to. And this is a kind of, I would say, also almost a contradiction 
to the classical psychological cognitive approach because the cognitive approach very often says uh, focus um, on, on, on the task and what's going to happen normally is that's uh, an overactivation of the frontal lobe. And when the frontal lobe is um, activated too much, then it's actually limiting the creativity and it's also, uh, I would say, limiting the restricting the learning process. Okay. And we uh, think, and most of the studies show this, meanwhile, that when you're moving in a, the whole body, then we have a completely different access to the frontal lobe. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. I was, I was already said to you, but think again, if you walk around with somebody, you have a different kind of conversation than when you sit down or when you're on the phone, people always tend to stand up and, and talk and because they feel more relaxed and just walk around and which can be very annoying because you are in a quiet office and somebody comes in with their phone, but okay. It, this is related to that, right? Yes, this is actually the, the the natural way. And I never saw someone talking in a phone uh, without moving the hands or uh, explaining somewhere, even uh, if they don't have a video in in front of yeah, uh, them. But very often the hand shows where to go straight and then to the right and to the left. Uh, I think it's just natural. And uh, yes, I would say a major part of our brain is um, has been developed uh, because of our movements. And mainly it's related to our philosophy, which is going back to, to Descartes, that we uh, kind of separated the brain from our body. Um, and the natural way is just to, to combine this all the time. And actually this is a major part of, of the differential training, that it's a more holistic thing and uh, we cannot separate these different levels of, of the brain. Uh, it's connected and it was a major part of the evolution and the evolution was much older uh, than the last uh, three or 500 years uh, of philosophy. Clear. So we wouldn't have been developed in this way uh, if it would have started in, in the way uh, how Descartes uh, mentioned this. Yeah, yeah, okay, very clear. Let, let's dive into that later because normally I ask a coach, okay, what's in your room or in your office and well, you're at home, but you brought a photo or a picture that you wanted to share. Yes, um, I've done on my smartphone. Uh, I can send this uh, to sure. you. And the office has, yeah, I would say, um, at least six or seven different chairs. Um, we are doing tests with them in, in different situations. And every chair has a different, I would say, movement amplitude and movement frequencies. Some have a spring in it where, where you can jump on the chair. Uh, some are leaning forward, some are very sensitive. Um, and I would say dependent on your mood or dependent on your character, uh, you can choose different uh, chairs and also uh, change the height of the desk um, where you can adjust immediately according to your needs. Okay, interesting. It's, uh, a lot of the principle is... I'm really curious. To, very, to very often I, I ask my, my students when, when they come to my office for exam, okay, choose the chair and choose the desk height. Um, and yes, they, when they have, for example, a verbal exam or something that they can yes, feel. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Cool. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I remember that I had once I did, uh, oh, I don't know what the English word was called neuro anatomy. 
We also had a verbal exam with the professor. And I still remember the chair it was like really small. And the guy in front of me was much higher than me. So I had to talk upwards, which was kind of a strange situation. But I did pass the exam as a pretty good grade. So I didn't get to blame the chair. Yeah. Yeah, well, um, I think it's not it's not only in in, in office. This is what I'm also doing uh, when I'm walking to to work from home. It's about thirty minutes. Very often, I have a book in in my hand and I'm I'm reading while I'm walking. Okay. Um, and very often, I do this during the weekend. Um, read a certain passage, then I think about this. Um, yes, and. I still think uh, the brain is much more activated and much more creative while you're moving. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. Most people do what you do with the phone because they're more addicted to what there's on, what's on the screen. But uh, with the book, yes, sometimes you see people read, but it is more that the brain is more activated to read and the information gets, let's say, soaked in better. I don't know if it's more activated, but it's in a different way activated. And the difference uh, means in most cases it's lower frequencies and the lower frequencies mean that more areas of the brain are connected with each other. Um, this is uh, physics that the lower frequencies uh, are uh, having um, um, far more uh, distance reaching. This is why whales are communicating with lower okay. frequencies. Um, and yeah, I would say it's taking more resources uh, for, from your brain. It's it's keeping yeah. your more flexible. Interesting. Okay, well, let's let's dive into differential learning because we had a nice, interesting introduction uh, with the chairs. But um, um, differential learning, how? What is it? Maybe that's the most easy question. That's a good question. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Well, okay. How would you describe it? Okay, differential learning is actually just a term yeah. which I used for a specific kind of um, training sequences, uh, which I actually applied to my athletes from, I would say, already in the beginning, 1986 till uh, 2000. And before I quit my activity as a coach, I was asked to look for a theory for this. And because I study physics as well, in physics, mathematics, differential calculus is a very important uh, part. So yeah. I thought, okay, this is um, the term which describes it the most because we knew already for long that um, differentiated training where you train handball, basketball and whatever is good for children. Uh, this is, this was known for a long time, sure. but the major uh, interest for me was working with absolute high performance athlete. So we were, you were uh, already coaching high performance in that, in that time in 86. Yes. Um, 86, this was um, when I was a high-performance athlete by myself as well. Mm -hmm. yeah. And in parallel, I earned some money as a coach. Um, I, I coached my uh, track and field athletes, uh, sprinters, decathletes, uh, shot putters and whatever. But in parallel, uh, I was a biomechanist and we consulted the, a couple of national teams in Germany in shot put and uh, discus throwing, traveling, where it's really high performance yeah. uh, level and you you cannot tell them uh, 
yeah, you have to repeat more and uh, you have to put more weight on it. So you have to think about uh, what can be different. And one of the major thoughts when I started to become a trainer was a coach uh, was, okay, I want to get extraordinary athletes, which means I need to have extraordinary training. So when I only repeat what is in, in the textbooks, I just can believe in, in uh, the genetics. And this was not enough for me. So I knew what, what was in the textbook. And in parallel, I had this biomechanical knowledge and uh, already started to learn the, the neurophysiology. And there we saw a completely different, I would say, world. So in, in living systems, it's normal to have fluctuations uh, when when you have this uh, adaptation before one system is shifting from one stable state to another. It's increasing enormously, the fluctuations. And this is what I would say every coach knows. When you change your movement behavior, then the system is getting unstable. Yeah. And unstable means... Uh, sorry, real quick, but you were also a high-performance athlete. Was yes. this also something that you maybe missed in your training? Uh, actually, I don't know, uh, because <laughs> uh, I would say all the time when, when it became boring, uh, I started another uh, discipline, another sport. Okay. So, so I started were... <laughs> with gymnastics for seven, eight years. In parallel, I started handball. I was uh, in a state team. Then I started uh, decathlon, also in parallel. Yeah, yeah. I always had this... A parallel thing and this gave me a lot of uh, variation no reason to, from to the be bored now because sometimes people realize things because they experience them themselves but in your case you are already ahead of those moments any every time i think so yes uh, but at that moment i i didn't think about this um, later it made sense for me but uh, this is what we observed as well in, in top athletes when they reach a certain plateau uh, they really thought uh, about to change the things. And it was very rarely that they started to increase the, the amount of training because this was already in the, in the 80s achieved. They were training about eight to 10 hours a day. More was not possible. Yeah. So there must have been an alternative. And then in, in parallel, I was in, in, in China and in, in Taiwan where we measured uh, the biomechanics of uh, martial art fighters and there we saw, okay, they can produce a punch of one ton. And when you look to the monastery where they are living, you find everything but uh, no no weightlifting room. So there must have been something in, in, in the mind. And there you see a lot uh, of differences between the Chinese and the Japanese style. Uh, and what I saw there is that the Japanese style is actually German export. That uh, when 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 the German Germans won against the French in 1817, uh, uh, the Japanese emperor sent a delegation to uh, Germany, uh, and they exported the German marching and repetition yeah. thing to Japan. And most probably this was the reason why they went that well in the Second World War. Uh, but in China, it, the origin is completely different. They still have a lot of uh, repetitions, but it's much more variable. Uh, the martial art uh, fighting than uh, the, the Japanese uh, style. And then I just uh, came back. Okay. Doping was, was not, uh, was no question for me. Uh, so we had to look for other resources. And I think still 
our brain has a lot more resources uh, there. Okay. And so actually, differential training is a kind of stimulating the brain. Yes. Yeah. So that's where you got. Can I can I call it inspiration or first findings on this method? Yes. This was a couple of inspirations. So one thing was, okay, my experience as an athlete, my experience as a coach, yeah. then uh, from physics came uh, information. Uh, yes, and, and, and the same by just observing the nature. Yeah. I never saw a, a cheetah doing squats or, or bench press. Uh, and, and they are the fastest uh, animals. And still, I like to watch these uh, documentations uh, and, it's always interesting how they are playing and uh, doing a lot of different things. Uh, yes. And meanwhile, we see this in, in sprint running as well, that the sprinters are getting more thin. Almost. Yeah. Normal at least. No, yeah, they're not right. normal, but they look more, more normal than 15 years ago. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and meanwhile, I would say we, we know this and, and actually this was mainly a wrong understanding. I would say of physics. And okay, I studied physics and in physics, okay, there's a term force is the or, uh, origin for all the movement, but actually this is an equation. And in an equation, the left side cannot be the origin of the right side. But okay. the, um, I would say the sportsmen, they said, okay, we first have to do some strength training to move. Yeah. And I always ask the, the people, have you ever seen a, a baby doing curls with 200 gram handle or, uh, <laughs> no, it, it doesn't work. No, it gets me thinking again. Okay. So these were the, the first, let's say inspiration and they're all types of clues or yeah, fine, fine things that you can think, okay, yeah, this is pretty, this makes sense. Um, but what were the next steps? Because yeah, okay. You have an idea. Uh, we can all, in hindsight, look. Yeah, okay, it worked. But uh, at that point, uh, you're maybe you're coming back from Japan or from Asia. And what are the next steps? You have your athletes. You are into coaching, and you 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 start. Yeah, I had, I had my athletes, work? my athletes, and um, the first athlete. Um, I would say I made a contract with him, and I said, uh, "You will train only for one year. What I'm telling you, nothing else." Don't believe the national coach. We do this for ourselves, and okay, after one year we will have yeah. a, a sum, summing up the things. Uh, yes, and he did uh, a lot of uh, these coordinative things. What uh, was this this was already related to to the brain science. That the I would say the uh, substance which is most often or uh, often transmitter in, in in the brain is actually an inhibitor. So we have to learn to inhibit, which means actually to relax the muscles. And this is what you see in little children when they see in babies, when they see a, a new toy, the whole body is reacting. Uh, if, if an adult would do this, you would say uh, something <laughs> is wrong here. Uh, so actually it's, it's a, a very important part to learn that I call this the three extremities. The other three extremities uh, will be slowed down. And it's only the arm, one arm and one finger, which is going towards the toy, which is actually uh, inhibiting, uh, inhibiting the, the rest. And in order to learn inhibition, you need to vary a lot the coordinative thing. 
And this is a, I would say, a complete contradiction to the class, the approaches which I was uh, taught uh, to learn to contract, contract uh, with higher weights and and with the 250 kilo squats and and 130 uh, kilo bench press. Um, but yeah, I still can feel the pain in the knee. Uh, yeah. This is not necessary. And in biomechanics, we knew okay, uh, the important part is to have a long tendon uh, energetically. Uh, so how can I take uh, advantage of these conditions? So one thing is the neural part and, and the other is, is the tendon. Uh, so I have to vary a lot within a certain area. Um, and this is what we, we started to do. And uh, after one year, he was German champion uh, uh, in 200 meter in 21.32. Um, and the, for me, even more interesting was that he never did weightlifting and he only trained three times a week. He started with um, 11.8 for uh, 100 meters. And after this uh, one year, he ran 10.66. Wow. Only with, with this kind of variation training uh, up the hill, down the hill, in uneven surfaces, uh, different speeds. Um, yeah, actually, what differential training is doing. Okay, and, and this how... is one I would say one of the the major secrets, which um, actually is no secret. But when you do all these combinations, you have much in some you have much higher, um, I would say, intensity because the uh, I would say single joint is activated uh, in a much higher intensity. It's not a whole sprint. So when, when we did normal sprint training, we said, okay, five till eight times 30 meters. And then actually you're exhausted. N nothing is uh, possible anymore. And when we do this kind of coordination, uh, one uh, laying uh, the right knee fast, next the left knee fast, then we, we do the foot angle fast. Uh, then you get oh, in some much more higher activations for all the muscles than when you do the complete sprint together. Okay. And this is a kind of combination. So you learn the relaxation and you learn the contraction and you get a corresponding stimulus for, for the muscle, uh, which is, um, I would say, enforcing the, the adaptation of the muscle uh, as well. Okay, very clear. Um, I'm thinking if I can relate it to to football, but it's also you're breaking down the elements of a movement in this case. But um, other questions, because that popped in while you were talking. This is still in the early phases of, of well, is it, I don't know if it's discovery, but it's in the early phase. You have now more knowledge than, let's say, 30 years ago, yeah, I yeah. can imagine. Um, so how did you know what you were doing? So it's pretty interesting because you are you have a feeling and you have some knowledge that you know you're on the on a right path on a good path uh and first of all i think it's admirable that that the athlete trusts you there are some trust and a good relationships there but yeah that's an interesting process for just okay trust me did you knew you did you know you did you knew that you were on the right path for 100% no 100% never I understand. um there was there was always uh, some doubt uh, but what I saw is already in, in, and I observed a couple of other athletes when I was a, a top athlete as well. And uh, what I did during my, my studies in, in university all the time that 
I visited a, a lot of different coaches and observed the interaction between the coach and the athlete. So I was always uh, looking what kind of instruction did he gave to him and how that does he, he or her, uh, she uh, respond on this. And then I tried it by myself. Okay, give me different in instructions and fail this by myself. Um, I think I visited about 15 different coaches yeah. uh, in, in, in Germany and then uh, all over Europe. Uh, and when you listen a little bit around, you, you see, okay, where is the extraordinary coach? So it's it was never someone who was known by everyone. It was always listening to, to, to other uh, areas. And then I would say I had very fast experience uh, success by analyzing the athletes uh, in, in uh, different areas. So I was talking to, to a student of mine and while she was telling me uh, some stories about her problems in, in university, I observed her boyfriend running around the, the track. And after three minutes, I told her uh, some characteristics about her, her boyfriend. Uh, he's very ambitious. Uh, he has not a lot of talent, but a uh, lot of endurance and um, a kind of stubborn and, and a couple of things, what yeah. you could see there. And she was turning towards me and, and said, uh, you described in three minutes what I needed <laughs> I like. uh, five years to, to, to know uh, about him. Uh, and this was in parallel that I very soon realized that the language, the communication between the athlete and the coach is a big problem. And what you very often hear is, okay, that the coach is just repeating the instruction and then he is getting louder and louder and at the end they are shouting. Uh, and for me, from the beginning, this was one teacher here from, from Mainz, I studied here in Mainz uh, as well, said all the time, when a student is not responding on your instruction, it doesn't make sense to repeat it. True. So you have to find a language which can be understood by your athlete. Okay, and then uh, in parallel, I had some, some psychological knowledge and I heard from psychology, from therapists, they need about half a year of interviews to get to the real problem of the psychological problem. And I said, okay, um, this is language uh, related because I see this immediately when I have the movement. So mainly it's about producing, I would say, exercises which gives you the possibility to see immediate effects. And the big advantage of this is that the athlete also has the chance to feel immediately what's going on. Yeah. So when I'm telling this to them, it's mainly, um, I would say, stucking in, in, in the uh, cortex, yeah. but actually movement is controlled on the lower uh, levels. This is what you see in, in chimpanzees and whatever. You don't need the cortex for movement. And this is why, why there's a lot of uh, discrepancy between this cognitive approach. Okay, I can understand it, I can explain it, but how to do it? I don't know. It's a big, uh, this exactly this discrepancy. And meanwhile, um, uh, it's mentioned that differential training is a kind of implicit training. A lot of athletes, they do it, um, and very often they said, I don't know what's going on, but it feels good. 
okay, later I can uh, teach them how to talk about the movement. But um, actually, as a coach, this was of secondary interest for me. And this is, by the way, what, what I learned quite early also from football. Uh, uh, at this time, I was uh, training field coach in Eintracht Frankfurt. Yeah. And they saw um, this success. Uh, and at this time, I had already three German champions okay. uh, with this uh, thing. And then uh, the coach came uh, and asked me uh, whether we can apply this in football as well. This was 1992, 93, where uh, Eintracht Frankfurt was second in Germany. Okay. Uh, Anthony Boer was there, uh, Andy Möller, uh, and, and a lot of uh, these European top athletes. Yeah. And they responded immediately on, on this. They improved their 30 meters sprinting time within a very short time. Um, yeah, and there I saw, okay, um, you need to speak in a different language, uh, but this is no problem. Um, but they respond in a similar way. Yeah. And then well, I knew, okay, it's working. Coaches, sorry for the interruption. Besides the coaches room, I run another company called Football Tours. This is a full service touring company and we organize pre-season and winter training camps for professional football teams. We do this for both senior and youth teams and we take care of everything. Hotel, training accommodation, friendly matches, whatever you need. We give youth teams the opportunity to train at the best youth academies of the Netherlands. Academies like PSV, Feyenoord, AZ Alkmaar and the KNVB, you can train there with your team. So, if you are a professional coach, you need to organize your training camp. Or, if you have a youth team and you want to train at the best facilities and the best academies of the Netherlands, go to footballtours.com and now pay attention tours is with a z so football tours with a z.com what was the different language because i can imagine as a track and field coach coming into let's say the testosterone environment of a football complex at that point but what was the way that you approached this or what was the first step that you did there actually this um language was more um, metaphoric okay you have okay. to talk in or maybe it, it was also a learning process of mine uh, i came from biomechanics so i was talking in, in joints and and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. velocity yeah, and yeah. and there i saw uh, i i told them uh, okay open the door with the knee uh, kill kill whatever the guy in front of you or yeah. uh, a yeah. metaphoric language and meanwhile I'm only talking in meta metaphor, different languages uh, to, to the athlete. Uh, okay. In, in, in the beginning, I said a, a general thing, but very soon I said, okay, for you, it's this, for you, it's this, for you, it's this. Yeah. So uh, individual language. And actually this, I would say this was in parallel that it was also a differential language. Yeah. So never repeat the same instruction. It doesn't make sense. Uh, and uh, then it has to be adapted individually. And when you uh, do this the next week, it has to change because they know already this instruction. Okay. I understand. Okay. So I think that's one of the key elements of differential learning or differential training, uh, how you want to call it. 
and you already mentioned it between the lines uh, 15 times that the way of training or the way of stimulating uh, the player or the athlete is always um, uh, variable. Or th there's always a variation. Yes. That that's the most important in learning better, faster. Uh, is that that's my main? Wow, well, I, I did some preparation, of course, but that is the key element to learning. Yes, this is actually what we saw in biomechanics, also in parallel. That uh, my doctor father told me, okay, you are a decathlete. Please find so-called prototype models for all the 10 disciplines. And we were recording all over Europe, uh, all these top athletes, world record holders and whatever. And yes, after five years, I had to admit, uh, we don't find ideal patterns. But what I saw is, uh, and I could des describe this for two milliseconds, uh, shot put, the GDR world record holder and, and the Swiss uh, world championship, uh, world, world, world champion, uh, they both could uh, do shot put for 23 meters, but I could exactly differentiate them. And I could uh, differentiate them over several years. And then I started to really to think about the fundamental of, of our uh, philosophy, because very often our training philosophy is oriented on models. Okay, I want to play like mm -hmm. Ronaldo yeah. or Messi yeah. or w yeah. whatever. But in this case, we saw, okay, and this is what you see as well, Ronaldo is not equal Messi, uh, and every time they are playing different. So what is my role model? So there is the, the when, when you turn the, the system upside down and you ask them, okay, why did they become that successful? Because they found their own way. They didn't listen too much to the other ones. And this is actually the secret. A copy can be never as good as the original. Yeah. So we have to find the, the own uh, original. Okay. Yeah, sorry for sorry that I went uh, interrupt you, but there is never one way. There's never a golden standard that everybody should follow. Of course, you can use the knowledge that's already there or... You can be inspired by the achievements of others or the way that they do things. But once you do it yourself, it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's football or, or sprinting or whatever, you have to find your own way. Yes. Um, this is actually a complete contradiction also to science because science is normally doing averages and there's also a misunderstanding. And this is what I started already in my PhD, a single case study uh, that Yeah, you have to find your own way. Uh, and this own way should be open. Okay. You should be curious about, okay, which possibilities do I have? And then you have to skip. Okay. This is not interesting for me because the, he is too tall. He's too heavy, uh, whatever. Uh, but I can take this. I can take this. And this is what I also observed in, in top athletes. For example, in, in my semester, uh, I had Harald Schmidt. Uh, the European record holder and, and a former European record holder and followed hurdles. Uh, and he did, did the same. He went to, to Moses. He's uh, training this. Uh, the other one is training this, um, but he doesn't like this. And yes. Yeah. Okay. And now we are talking, well, you talked about football and, uh, but you took out, if I am correct, uh, the element of speed. Uh, when when you stepped in, uh, uh, when you when you uh, were working with Frankfurt in the beginning, um, 
you're you're talking about a lot about individual athletes, but I'm while you are thinking this, I I can hear this coach that is listening now in his car while we are driving, he's driving. Okay, yeah, it's a nice story, and uh, it's an individual approach. But I have 15 individuals, and how do I use this? And how do I manage? Because using is easier if you have one player. Okay, we we kind of understand the basics now. Let's put it like that. But if I have 15 individuals and I have to coach it, how can I put it into practice when I have a group in front of me? And we're talking more about football-related actions or uh, uh, we're talking about shooting or maybe you want to explain a little bit how a coach can use it like in these circumstances. Yeah, well, um, nice question. Uh, and I think especially in groups, differential training has a big advantage because when I have 15 or 20 athletes and I'm offering all the time different exercises, then the probability that for everyone is some uh, a challenge uh, included is much higher than when I'm training the whole group in two or three ex with two or three exercises. So the chance to fail with the, I would say with repetitive and, and a smaller number of exercises is much higher than when I vary all the time. And it's yeah. exactly what, what we saw uh, already in, in the first studies that when you offer this to the whole class, uh, then the whole class is uh, improving much, uh, much better, much more. And we see a much broader spectrum of solutions especially in, in what we had in, in sprinting and, and shot put uh, where yeah, when you see textbooks, they only have one technique and we see, no, there are a lot of different variations in this. Okay. So if I'm thinking out loud here, so for example, you want to improve shooting, you do different shooting exercises. So, every, so let's say 20% goes really attaches to the first uh, type of exercise and the other one takes the other one, the second one that really works for him. So everybody takes it from, um, from each exercise, is that how I interpret it? Yes, there are, diff I would say, different organization uh, principles. Um, you can start, and this is what I did in the beginning, that you prescribe certain uh, movements. Okay, the first kick has to be done with the inside, ah, okay, the yeah, second on, on the outside, the, the third place the foot uh, far away, and so, so on. Yeah. In a more advanced state, I would say you should change this uh, you tell them, okay, please show me 10 variations how you can kick the ball to, I would say, to foster the, the creativity of the athlete by himself. We started with these concrete instructions only in the beginning because most of the athletes are used to receive instructions. And by receiving all the time instructions, actually you are blocking all creativity in the organization, uh, okay, I started with the instructions because really, um, yeah, the athletes normally are used only to receive passively uh, the what to do and to give them back the responsibility for this is, yes, um, find 10 variations of this and then you can give this also to, to the group. Uh, and then really, uh, I would say it needs about two, three weeks, uh, creativity starts. And they get a lot of fun with this. Yeah. I remember we had a, 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 like a football school. It was like a private football school uh, about 10, 12 years ago. 
We had a lot, a lot of young kids, talented players. There were. We we didn't have have any aim to make them professional football. We just wanted to give quality coaching. Uh, but the level was pretty high, and we also did a lot of. Well, we tried to teach them, uh, let's say, moves uh, in let's say the traditional way, so very isolated. But we also, and I didn't know what I was doing. To be fair, I just thought it was the right way at that point. Mm. Um, uh, so isolated, so really only techniques. And so this is how you place your foot and this is where you speed and blah, blah, blah. Of course, that they improved. They were young kids and they were the easiest kids ever. But we also also had sections where they, okay, now you just show yourself. We didn't say anything, but you just pass or show what you can do. or And then you saw completely other different things. Never the things that we showed them. They were yeah. doing their own things. They were making up their own moves and they, they had probably had preferences that we didn't discover or did, we didn't know. Yeah, right. Yeah, this is um, actually what I observe very often. And uh, one of my major thoughts in the beginning, which I didn't mention is uh, all the time, okay, how did the first athlete learn the thing? Who was yeah. the teacher of the first? So... Uh, when you look to the history of, of these uh, inventions, shot put or Fosbury flop or whatever, all those who invented one of these techniques were world record holder for quite a long time. And yeah, they, uh, I would say they never forgot this, this kind of movement. And actually, this is exactly what um, you can observe uh, when you learn uh, riding a bicycle. Uh, Okay, there's no one who can explain this to you, uh, but you will never forget it. Sure. Even if you have 20 years of, of uh, uh, doing nothing or and you go back to the bike, you can still do it. And this is what we, we know. Meanwhile, okay, all the things which you teach by yourself, which you learn by yourself, you never forget. But the things which are taught by someone else by repetition uh, has this typical memory curve. And my prefer, preferred uh, example is, what do you know from high school? What do you remember from high school? And this is actually yeah, classical uh, yeah, um, student uh, 20 years ago called this the so-called bulimic learning. Stuffing four weeks everything in, True. one time out, and then it's gone. Yeah, no, that's completely right. Yeah, okay. Um, so... So the base, no, the fundamentals of, of of different learners that you are owner of your own process is that of the learning yes. process, yeah, um, and that it is well constantly, well, it is changing. Of course, you can repeat it once in a while. I don't don't think you you should ever never has to. Well, it doesn't have to be different every time. But there's the, no rhythm. I think uh, there needs to be different circumstances. Um, but I also heard you say a different environment, which means surfaces, uh, different types of balls, uh, different types of equipment. Um, why is that so important? Uh, well, the environment, I would say, is a, from a biomechanical point of view, is a possibility to change the forces which are coming in into your body. 
and uh, different forces means that uh, the all these cells, Merkel, Fadopacini, and whatever uh, proprioceptors are activated in a different way. And this information is given to the motor cortex uh, and a central uh, head up there. And there it leads to a new organization. Uh, but actually, for me, it was more the natural environment. And it was very rarely, or just as a side effect, some equipment. Because one aim which I had all the time is that it should help, um, I would say, yes, African, South American people, which don't have money uh, to buy all the equipment. Yeah, sure. Yeah, but for example, for a football player, it can be a small ball or a big ball or a tennis ball or whatever. Yeah, so it can be a can or it can sure. be... Yeah, yeah. Um, yes, because, yeah, football is, uh, I think, the most spread discipline all over the world because... It needs the least equipment and it needs, uh, it has the least rules. Yeah. And this is a, ma a major thing. And, um, yes, I can imagine that um, this can be transferred to, to all kinds of sports. So there is a reason why at the moment, I would say in the European uh, Champions League, we have a lot of uh, players with uh, African background. Yeah, or South American. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, because they are coming from a natural, differential environment almost. Yeah, and they have to be creative. They always have sure. to think yeah, about how sure. can I do it in a different way. They don't have the money to, to buy certain things. Uh, and this is what we see. And uh, meanwhile, uh, in, in biomechanics, that um, the improvement of performance in swimming or uh, sprinting is mainly because of the equipment. It's not the human performance. The human performance is mainly the same. But this was one, one of my classical examples in the beginning, the, the Brazilian uh, football players, uh, that yeah, at that time they were the most successful ones and the most Brazilian players were playing outside of Brazil. Meanwhile, it has changed a little bit, but uh, what I have heard is that they started to uh, copy some of the European systems and this uh, didn't work. Coaches, I hope you're enjoying this episode so far. You can help us with reaching more listeners. Subscribe to the podcast or rate us in your favorite podcast player. But if you really want to help us, then share a post or story on your social media, on Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, or Facebook. If you share a post about us on social media and you tag us, I will personally make sure that you will get access to our best rated masterclass on our website. So subscribe, rate us, or share a post, and make sure you tag the coach. The environment is something that you can change. Well, actually, Ajax is a great example. Actually, already for a long while that they, they train. I think a lot of clubs do it now, but that they were trained in the parking lot. Uh, no rules. Um, you see over-organized clubs now uh, <laughs> that create pitches that are not maintained so to 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 um, to uh, to to replicate the the pitches that are on the streets yeah yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. so it's all related yeah, to well, mean, differential circumstances meanwhile the idea is spread but when i published this in 1999 the first time they almost killed me uh, 
Okay. You, you are completely against our mentality and, and we have a lot of money and sponsors for, for these things. And no, that's not necessary. Okay. In, in, in Africa, what, what, when what I was did you in, publish in, in 1999? So, so much response. Sorry? What did you, ex there was, apparently there was a, you published something in 99 that sparked a lot of people. What was the, what was the article? Uh, this was the first was in, in, in German, but immediately the year after I uh, published this in English. Yeah. Uh, and I would say the practitioners, they mainly ignored this. They said, this is a theorist and uh, we, we don't okay. have to take care of this. Um, the, the, I would say the scientists, they started to copy this uh, and renamed this. Um, so one one colleague i, I sent this to, to uk uh, and and asked him whether he could help me to publish this in in english in a, a higher paper uh, he took this he renamed this and published this uh, by his name okay and now it's sold with uh, nanya pedagogy and and conscious letter brooch okay okay so okay that's okay that's more the 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 how do you say it there's the environment that you work in, apparently. <laughs> so, yeah, well, we have, we have the same in, in coaches. They, yeah, it's it's okay, differential training is too complicated. So we call this a uh, brain simulating training or uh, life kinetics. Those are all copies, but only small parts of, of these things. Uh, yes, okay. This was never my interest. Uh, or I'm not a businessman. No, no, uh, for me, it was the major part. Okay, if the the idea is successful and and the idea is spread, then I'm satisfied. And meanwhile, okay, I see a lot of clubs are using this, but still in a secret way. They don't talk about this. Yeah, uh, this is what I uh, agreed with in, in in Barcelona as well. I consulted Barcelona since from 2000 on. Uh, and I promised I will not uh, talk about this. Um, yeah, and uh, I was very happy when uh, a lot of these players were in the world champion team 2008. Yeah. And, and only after Tuchel from Mainz, um, yeah, was consulted, then it became uh, public. Okay. That, um, I have, I had some, some influence on this. Can you, uh, share some insights? Okay. Because you, Frankfurt, it's a big club, especially now again. I think it was last year that they won the, the yeah. Europa League. Uh, you worked with uh, Tuchel, you said. You you worked, uh, well, I saw on the website, Klopp. There was a, a quote of Klopp, um, uh, Kovac, which was working at Mainz, I think, when you uh, when he was a coach or not. No, I, I never had contact with uh, Kovac. Uh, oh, okay. Klopp, doesn't matter. Klopp was a student in, in, in Frankfurt. Um, he had, I would say, the main ideas, the principles there, but he uh, got, uh, I would say, information about differential training via uh, life kinetics. And sure. also his uh, physiotherapist is using this for rehabilitation uh, a lot. Meanwhile, I would say a lot of, are using this without knowing that it's coming from differential training yeah. because it's uh, accepted that, okay, we need variation. And uh, yeah. this is one reason why, meanwhile, I'm shifting more to uh, to rehabilitation and, and 
actually to disease, uh, treating disease in Parkinsonians, uh, MS or focal dystonia. Uh, and there we have, um, yeah, also a lot of success with, with this approach. Okay. I would like to know more about that, but first, last step yeah, yeah. in football. Um, because at one point you you see, okay, my method, whether, whether they, the big ones are working with or not, or what it doesn't really matter. At one point you are, you see, okay, this method is accepted into football or it's acknowledged. Um, uh, Barcelona is, is, is giving you a call. Okay. Can you help us with that? And then what is, The main thing, okay, we already had all the elements. I think, what, several elements of the theory so far. So environment, uh, the way of coaching. But what should coaches be really aware uh, when they are using differential training or when, 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 um, when they are using differential training? What is there, can you take it too far? Is it uh, something that if you overdo it it doesn't work or should you do it every time or i'm I'm looking for some practical tips that if people listen okay i can use this tomorrow or i shouldn't do this tomorrow well this has been said already um, from the beginning that there is an optimum and very often differential training is still integrated in a way how i never uh, expressed this that the coach has to take care of the exercises for the athlete. What I said from the beginning is that the coach has to read the athlete and actually the athlete is showing you a certain amount of fluctuation. Or we can say the athlete shows you an error and instead of suppressing the error and making it smaller, make the error bigger in order to allow the athlete to become aware of this. And then uh, the, the task of the coach is to have enough noise in the system, which means not too much and not too less. What do you mean with noise? Uh, noise means the amount of fluctuations. It's a term from physics. And this is the reason why children learn by repetition. But even within their repetition, They have a lot of variation, and actually it's a variation which helps them to learn, not a repetition. Whereas the longer the people are in, in school system or in, in classical coach system, you see that the repetition is no more providing any variation. And this is why learning stops. And this is what, what I saw immediately uh, in, in the athletes, uh, the Olympic uh, medal winners and, and participants in the finals, uh, that they responded the most on this differential training because they were used with, with uh, to, to these repetitions. And then the differential training was an immediate, I would say, eye-opener for them. But what we saw as well uh, in these um, experiments is that other athletes, they were a kind of overwhelmed with this. And for them, we suggested to do three repetitions. Okay. But, but never more than three repetitions because then the neural adaptation is gone. And, uh, okay, you can use this, I would say, for psychological reasons. Uh, but 
not for for a motor learning thing. And this is this was one of the uh, I would say major insights of myself that we saw. Okay, when someone has a high need for control, then we need more repetitions. But this is a psychological thing. Whereas if someone doesn't care about control, yeah. we can vary all the time. But still, the the task of the uh, of the coaches to take care that there is enough noise in the system, enough variation. If they if the athlete is asking for safety, then they need more repetition. Yeah. If they are looking for uh, more fun then you can increase the number of repetitions. But it's always, I would say, in the space of solutions. It's never uh, yeah, anything goes. But some some people are, I would say, interpreted in a mean way. Yeah, well, I understand. And I think it comes down to what a lot of guests on the podca podcast have said, that it all comes down to coaching, the right coaching behavior and looking at your players okay you you give input whether it's variated or not or whether it's a certain type of words or not or look at the response uh, yes is it working are they re are they reacting are they not reacting are they yes. overreacting whatever um, uh, and so that's where coaching comes you yes. provide a context and then how do you deal with that context or how how do you let the players deal with the context and then still that's my conclusion in my now from your from your talk so far you can still give them all the freedom to discover but if some some kid or whatever is experiencing this freedom as unsafe we'll give them a little bit more boundaries yes okay yes okay. right and this is exactly what what i described with stochastic resonance so you have these fluctuations of the athlete and the fluctuations of the exercise, and they have to fit to each other. They have to get in resonance. Uh, if you have too much variation and, and the system is too stiff, it doesn't work. And if the system is too variable and you do only repetition, it doesn't work as well. Yeah, very clear. It, it also reminds me, I don't know if there's a connection or a relation there uh, with chaos theory. I don't know if it, if you know it, but it's yes. more. I don't know if it's related, but you you can probably explain. But that's also the case there. If you bring up too many chaos rules, and kids are overwhelmed. It doesn't work. Uh, but if you give them a little bit more every time, they get more and more adaptable. But from uh, a learning perspective, is there a relationship between both methods? Uh. This is a very difficult question because in physics, we have different forms of chaos, uh, deterministic yeah. chaos and absolute chaos. The um, reason why, why, chaos, why, why I wrote chaos down before we started this, because it's a very, uh, well, let's, let's say the last three, four years when Nagelsmann came to arise and he's uh, uh, one of the, yeah, well, the main coaches that, well, one of the main coaches that works with this, that a lot of coaches started using chaos. Uh, and then, okay, then the right question is, okay, what is chaos? But they use chaos in rules or uh, with also with different type of materials, different type of balls. Um, and then it's called chaos. But I see also there's a clear connection or there's a connection with... Uh, yeah, I would say, yes, for sure, because this was part of my physics studies. 
you have the catastrophe theory, you have this uh, chaos thing, but mainly I would say it's a kind of fashion at the moment to take over just these expressions from physics without knowing actually what, what is behind this. And I would say in a classical language, producing chaos is, I would say, make the system instable. So bring more variation in, into the system that the system can look for a new order. And this is described by uh, self-organization. And when the system is getting more stable again, then they call this a tractor. Uh, but I don't know. Um, for me, it's a big problem. Renaming a problem doesn't solve it. No, but I think creating instability is what the well. I think it what what people do try to achieve when they try yes, to use right. chaos in football. So yeah, for for me, it's just when you use uh, producing instability, then for me as a scientist, it's okay. There were other uh, coaches and scientists earlier times which had a lot of creative ideas, and when you find the same word there, you can look uh, for, for their ideas as well. So we don't have to invent the real in a new way. And actually, a lot of these things, as been told by, by Cruyff, uh, go go to the street, uh, play street football, or do uh, the, I don't know if it's from him, uh, but the absolute football. So every player has to play in every situation. And then you can become very creative in the whole team and unpredictable for the other one. Yeah. And this is what meanwhile is happening much more often. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of times it's in a good way and sometimes it's in like a forced way as well. But it's a whole, <clears throat> a whole different discussion. Uh, again. Yeah. I would say this is related to the authentic uh, term. So for me, it, it, I think no one would believe me uh, when I tell them, okay, do repetition now. Okay. Sure. Meanwhile, they know, okay, when you do a lot for a long time, these variations, then you need to include repetitions as well to make the system sensitive again for the variation. Okay. But to do it in a military style for several years, would, would no one believe me? No. They would send me to the neurologist. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Clear. Okay. Um, is there anything so far? Because I, th I think we'll, if I look at my list, we topped off a lot of, ticked off a lot of boxes. Is there any element that we've missed uh, so far? You talked about the differential training and disease would. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's very important because the wh why I think it is important and um, one of, well, uh, a mutual relation, uh, Rene Worma, what, what we discussed is also using, I think he's also shifting his more to, to physical education and, and let's say in general and, and whether it's moving his idea from sports to, to movement, let's call it like that. And you are mentioning the same. So I was triggered by, by your remark there. Well, this was my claim that the theory should not be only applicable to a certain area. This is the physics thinking. Okay. It should be a general thing. Yeah. So when it's about the, the brain adaptation, then it should work in school as well, uh, as well as in disease. And 
in in school um, yeah i have to admit yes uh, i was in in a kind of creative schools uh, but i knew all these approaches uh, and i wanted to go beyond these things and by going beyond this i wanted to explain the other things as well okay. so these uh, discovery based learning uh, approaches in school are i would say mainly just a smaller amount of variation, small amount of noise, which can be derived from this theory as well. Okay. Okay. You have a, a couple of other aspects in, in group. Uh, in school, you have different aims, not only performance, but this is what is going to happen at the moment that uh, some high performance coaches are discovering pedagogy and we yeah, are sell this like a new world. Yeah, true. Uh, true. And actually, I would say the most of, of us know these um, pedagogue approaches and we could actually learn from this. Yeah. And this is what I very often heard in the beginning. This differential training is good for little children because they want to have fun and they can play. Yeah, yeah. said, no, the brain didn't change. Uh, it's more the method which changed and, and the philosophy of adults. But actually, a colleague of mine in, in Münster He immediately started to apply this in a, in elderly, 70 years and older. He let the, these, um, people dance Argentinian tango three times a week. And yeah. after six weeks, they had a balance and coordinative uh, situation like the 40 year old in average. So within six weeks already, they changed their complete behavior. So we knew. And this is what, what, what I knew and, and I recommended this to, to him that our brain is plastic until 90, but you need corresponding stimuli. Yeah. And this is what you very often see when, when people get retired, they are missing the social contacts, which means that the frontal lobe is shrinking. Yeah. And then, yeah, they are getting old and stiff in, in mind, narrow minded. When they still are open, and this is what you see in, in the big politicians, They are mentally flexible uh, to the highest age. Yeah. So in this way, in this example, you use, because if you would have you took the took the same group and if you would have done balance training, for example, it would never have had the same result, I can imagine. No, I don't think so. Because no. meanwhile, we know that this kind of movement training is, and this is what we are doing research at the moment, is not only changing the, the uh, cortex, it's going deeper, it's changing the amygdala. Because these lower frequencies, they are really changing the whole brain, yeah. and the amygdala is responsible for the processing of the emotions. And this is exactly what we have in yoga and, and Qigong as well. And this is what uh, a friend of mine has observed quite early. And uh, I had the same experience that after two or three months of differential training, a kind of the whole character has changed yeah. because they are much more focused. Uh, they uh, can sit still in, 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 in school. Uh, they follow uh, all the instructions in a, in a much higher level. Uh, so we see a much bigger uh, effect, not only on the, on the pitch, but also in life. And this was actually a kind of first observations, which I made that it's out, it's also fostering, I would say, a kind of tolerance because it's no more the fight about the best method. 
uh, no, I can accept that he is doing it in a, in a different way than me. And mm -hmm. um, this is the beginning of tolerance. Yeah. It feels, you say, okay, it's, you said that now it's suitable for little children because it's playful. But in the end, it is suitable for everybody because yeah. it is playful. Yes. Because the playfulness takes off, let's say, the rigid approach and also the mindset of somebody that that is going to do the exercise. He's just going to dance. He doesn't care about balance or she, right. whatever. But yeah, that takes off. It makes it more fluid. It literally yes. makes people more happy. Yes. And this is actually, I would say, also nothing new. This has been written already in the Bible uh, where they say, okay, you have to get a child's mind to go uh, to come to heaven state. And this was meant. It, it's not childish. Behave like a child. Don't judge about the future. Be in the moment uh, and have fun. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. And if I think everybody can relate as well. If you're going to, uh, well, whether you're a football player or any coach, if you're going to the gym, you'll do, do the rigid exercise or you're going to do whatever squash or padel or whatever, and you move around and it, it, the, you still get fit, but your mindset when you step outside of the pitch or outside of the gym is completely different. Playfulness makes everything much easier. Yes. When, when you mentioned the, the, the gym uh, or fitness studio, this is, by the way, what we, we found in meantime as well. When you do differential strength training, uh, we have similar effects. And now we, we transfer the system to differential endurance training, okay. where you have a completely um, different activation, communication between heart and brain. And this leads to completely different adaptations, much, much faster recovery, much uh, more progress. Uh, so it's... Yeah, we call this a self-similar system. Yeah, is that the example of the what? What's it? Where is you from? Of the skater that that beat all the Dutch guys last uh, Olympics. I think he's from Sweden. I, I and, don't know. And uh, the, well, of course, the Dutch skaters are the best in the world. They have their <laughs> traditional, well, at least that we think we're also we think we are the lo the best in the lot. But which yeah, is yeah, um, not true. Okay. But okay. <laughs> Um, this is the skater. German, uh, horse riders as well. <laughs> what? Sorry, this is what the German thing about the horseback riding as well. But uh, <laughs> yeah, this is in every nation. Nations uh, the same. Yes. <laughs> but there was I, uh, I forgot. I think he's from Sweden, which is not a traditional, or well, not lately a traditional skating country. And we have all these, let's say, big stars uh, in the Netherlands that that were going to win it. Well, at least what they thought. And this guy. Every four years, he takes two years off. He does endurance running for 150 mm -hmm. kilometers. He rides bikes for 24 hours. He does uh, alpine running, whatever. And then the last year and a half, he goes back on back. He goes he goes back uh, back on skates. Sorry, and then he beats everybody. Yes, it's, it's different. Yeah, I, I have to look for this, but for me, it makes sense because in in bicycle riding, running, you have different uh, slopes, you have different landscape. You have a much higher variation in, in the heart, um, heart um, activation. Yeah, it makes sense for me. Yeah, well, based on your story, it now also, also makes sense for me. But uh, I think it's an interesting example. Well, endurance example for sure. Okay. But I think it's also a sign of global warming because uh, the the cold area is going towards the north and you, <laughs> you don't have as much ice in the Netherlands as before. Well... 
It's just, I think the main tendency in the Netherlands is that we can become very good at anything. And then once we are good, we think we are very good. So that's a difficult. Uh, <laughs> this difficult. is the and beginning then, of the end, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So then, then everybody's beating us again, and then we have to rethink ourselves. But that's a completely different discussion again. It needs a different approach. But um, no, I think you gave uh, great examples or a great, let's say, insight in well your personal pathway in this uh, method. And uh, uh, and uh, well, you want to add something? Yes, related to disease, because ah, sorry, yeah, uh, I still think that from the disease we can derive a lot as well. Uh, what we see, meanwhile, is um, that when the the Parkinsonians start to do differential walking, that we get a, a reduction in symptoms. Unfortunately, we didn't have uh, enough uh, subjects for a big study, but in tendency, we see the same, that the differential walking is reducing the actuation of the frontal lobe. And all the time when I talk to relatives of Parkinsonians, they tell me that these people have a lot of need for control. Okay. And what we see in, in parallel in, in, uh, in Barcelona, they have a special clinic for this, uh, the music-related uh, TCs, focal dystonia, or in sports, it's well-known in, in golf, in yips. These Phenomena only appear when the people are very ambitious in a professional level, even more very ambitious and increase the number of repetitions. So high, very high ambitious ambition and repetition is a very dangerous combination. I never saw these diseases appearing from variation. It's only the combination of ambition and repetition. Then you get these problems. Okay. I'm straight away thinking, okay, is it because of the rigidness and you can't get stuck in a pattern and you're over, uh, yes. overacted? Or yes, right. Okay, very interesting. So there really the chaos is missing. Exactly. There's no variability in the, the conclusion there. Right, yeah. Okay. Wolfgang, I want I want to thank you very much. You're welcome for this uh, for this. I should say masterclass almost. <laughs> <laughs> no, what uh, I really enjoyed it, and um, you are the second professor I talked to today, so uh, my head is pretty full. I have a lot of to digest, but um, uh, I really I, I can see it. some smoke coming out of your head. <laughs> The, the headphones they, they keep it in <laughs> but uh especially the pace in the beginning is always needs i need to catch up with the professors I, that's what i realize always in the beginning so get into this get into the matter or in the material okay. so uh, but i really enjoyed it and um i think the best thing that you that you've shared is that you gave pretty some really easy simple well if you listen properly if you're still in the car listening to it there were some pretty easy and simple ways to apply this tomorrow if you want. Um, and it doesn't have to be very complicated. And what I, what I think is that you also gave me or us the, the right conclusion, you can try anything, but it comes down to cope coaching behavior is how you deal with it. 
So uh, we didn't yes. talk about it, but as a coach, you can just, okay, I want to try this. And if it goes wrong, just try something else. Um, I don't think you had, when you had the track and field athlete for the first year, everything went perfect for a year. Of course, there were things that were went wrong or whatever, or things worked and some things that, 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 that didn't work out the way you scheduled, but that's part of coaching as well. And if you never try, you're never going to invent or, or, or find the right way. Um, so I think that's also something you can almost paste on your method if I'm uh, so free to do it. Yeah, well, nice that you mentioned this. Uh, one of the major intention of my of the theory in the beginning was as well that I wanted to encourage the coaches to do more experiments and not only to follow some scientists or some some uh, teachers. Um, no. The, the, all the coaches have much more neurons and much more ideas than the other ones. And I would uh, love to discuss uh, different findings with them. Yeah. Okay. Where can they find you or where can they learn more about this? Uh, if they are able to uh, listen German, they can find some podcasts, yeah. uh, several podcasts. Uh, if they have concrete questions, Uh, they can contact me um, by email or uh, if they want to have uh, some uh, scientific proof for this, uh, you just have to log in in ResearchGate and you will find all the publications there. Yeah, okay. And um, if you have any direct questions and you don't know how to uh, to find Wolfgang, just send it to me and I will make sure you get them uh, as well. Okay. Um Then the final question, which I ruined for you. <laughs> <laughs> so Bertrand, I talked to Bertrand this morning, well, this afternoon, and you were going to nominate him. So I don't know if you have somebody else, but... Uh, well, you... I don't know uh, if he is um, available at the moment, but I would recommend uh, Thomas Tochel. Well, yes, he applied uh, this, uh, or if you are able to speak uh, Spanish or Catalan, uh, invite Paco Seulo. Yeah. Which, which I talked to in, in Barcelona a couple of times with translator. Okay. But he's only able to speak uh, Spanish and Catalan. Okay. Okay. Well, that's that's a little bit complicated for me, but for a podcast, but maybe we can try to find uh, a way to to contact him. Tuchel is already on my list. Not that I'm going that I already have an appointment, but I thought okay, maybe he has he has less busy schedule at this moment, so. Let's try to find a way to get him on the podcast. Another guy which I can recommend, it's related to football rehabilitation, is uh, Andreas Schlumberger. Okay. He's the physiotherapist uh, of Liverpool at the moment, and he has a lot of experience from Bavaria Munich and um, Mönchengladbach, etc. Okay. Sounds interesting. Yeah, because in, in also a lot of injuries and rehabilitation, differential learning is also the right way to Get back, you hear a lot of ACL training, yeah. a lot of differential learning. That's exactly and this is exactly what what he did uh, a couple of times. Okay, quite successful. Okay, well, uh, I already we have to w if we throw in three words, we already have three angles to keep on talking. So uh, <laughs> okay. I, I think that's a very good sign, and that this is a very interesting topic. Um, so I would really encourage everybody. To, to, to dig a little bit deeper on differential learning. And I'm pretty sure everybody's already using some of the parts of it, but be, become a little bit more aware and, and know a little bit more what you're doing and you become an even better coach. Yeah. Thank you very much, Wolfgang. It was my pleasure.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Inside the Coach's Room. Make sure to subscribe or rate us in your favorite podcast player or share this episode on your social media and we will make sure that you will get access to the best webinar that's available on our website. And if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. I would be happy to connect.